Listener Production. Car Sales acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. showroom for all the latest happening around cars, new releases in the marketplace and a whole lot more. You can think of this podcast like an audio dealership group with every kind of mark and each month we tackle something different and have some fun around things that cheese us off on the road as well and crazy finds in the classifieds too. I need a little bit of help in the introduction here. Producer Tom, spin that wheel here and let's see which member of the car sales team it lands on this month. It's almost back by popular demand too. Hello, Ali Lawrence. Oh, hi, Rusty. I'm blushing. Thank you. It's great to be back. As you should be too. A word on the street is you are in a Mazda MX-5 at the moment. Is that right? Yeah. You must have seen me drive into the garage. I am. <laughs> I, I love the little MX-5. I used to own one actually, so it's great to jump in one again. And this one's much newer than mine. And speaking of Mazda, we're actually going to cover in our Hot Topic section today the new CX-90, which is a big, pricey, luxury SUV. And Scotty Newman from the car sales team will join us shortly. Awesome. How are you going with your unpopular opinions? Did you offend anyone last time? Are you ready to crank it up again today? Oh, I haven't seen any angry emails come through, so I've I have spiced it up a bit this time because I um I really want to get some um, hate flowing through the uh, the editorial team. Oh, okay, it's a bit of a bit of tension among your colleagues, right? Now, uh, don't forget, we've got a bit of news coming up uh, shortly too. The return of Lancia, one of the stories, and a really cool thing that Ford has done with an online vault of all sorts of information around its Aussie makes from over the years. We'll tell you more about that very shortly. Plus something that we spotted in the classifieds. Do you know about the Google mobile? Not the Dart. In fact, this one is the Dart. Yeah, I, I actually had to look it up because um, I, briefly, <laughs> I briefly remember the old G-O-G-G-O-R. But um, I had to refresh my memory. So, yeah, how cool is this thing? Well done. You can check out all of Ali's reviews on the Car Sales website, of course. Bruce Newton very recently drove the Toyota Kluger GXL and our international buddy, Michael Taylor, uh, filed in from Europe having sampled something from Land Rover, their new Defender 90 SEP400. And if you missed last month's episode, don't worry, it is in the listener library or wherever you get your pods. It includes some thoughts on the return of Cherry to the Aussie market. Just search the showroom. You'll also find them very easily all parked up on the car sale site. This month's major launch is the highly anticipated new Honda Civic Type R. Now, our colleague, as we said in the introduction, Fian Tor, car sales senior editor, drove it very recently and he's actually on another road test as we speak. So we've got him to pull over for a chat. Hello, mate. Where exactly are you and what are you in this time? G'day, Rusty. Hi, Ali. Good to be here. I am in a place called Merrimoo, a nice spot west of Melbourne, and I'm driving the Chevy Silverado 1500 ZR2, and it's pretty wild. 
Talk about contrast compared to Type R. Are the roads there good for trying this out and making vids or whatever you're doing? Yes, they are. They are. We've got uh, we've got a quarry. We've got fire trails. We've got bush tracks. So this is a tough truck. So we're going to get plenty dirty. Right. Let's launch into Type R. What did you think of the new variant, and what's different compared to the previous model? Well, my thoughts on this hardcore Honda are overwhelmingly positive, Rusty. I absolutely love driving this car. It's, oh, look, I don't want to get too gushing here, but it is a triumph of engineering for a front drive hot hatch. For starters, it's incredibly fast, but it's also one of the most engaging and rewarding cars to drive at the limit that that I've sat behind the wheel for a long time. It is it is that good. Fian, when I spoke to you the other day, didn't you say that you would buy this Type R over a Porsche 911? Do you really like it that much? Well, it was sort of, kind of said in jest, but I, I reckon there's there's always a trace of truth in a joke. And my mind has certainly been turning over the idea of which one I would find more rewarding at the limit at the racetrack. And a lot of people are gonna gonna shoot me down for this, but I would love to put those two together in a comparison. Ooh. I reckon this type R is that entertaining that you would still have a massive smile on your dial. And for a lot of drivers, you're probably going to go a little bit quicker than the 911. How many are actually headed down under anyway? And, and at 73K, I think it is, or thereabouts, is it overpriced or worth it? If you look at the previous model, it's, it was about 55K before on-road cost, so maybe 60K. So even then, you're going, this is you know, almost 15 grand more expensive. That's a big jump, but it is, as I said, it's a phenomenal car. And I think this year we're getting 500 units. They haven't said how many we're getting in 2024, but it's pretty much sold out until late 2024. So I'm hoping, I'm thinking, I would I would like to think that by the end of this year, we might get some news out of Honda, whether they're able to secure more vehicles and reduce that wait list because it's close to two years. It's crazy. Clearly that barrier, uh, that price isn't a barrier for people then. Well, that's it. I mean, the the, the Honda faithful, the uh, <laughs> the VTEC Vanguard, as I described them, going to be rewarded for their early adoption because it is a fantastic car in almost every respect. And yeah, in terms of the price, at first, like everyone, I was shocked. But you know what? I'm kind of coming around to the idea that it is worth that money. So you've only had it on road, haven't you? Would you uh, want to get it on track soon? This is this is the thing. I've only had it on road and I'm still, you know, just thinking about what those drives were like. I'm getting excited. I'm getting amped up again. I think on track it would be mesmerising. I think it would be absolutely just mind-blowing. Would be worth, while we've got you, mate, giving the audience an idea of its rivals and, and how you think it stacks up relative to them. Yeah, well, I guess you've got the Lamborghini Huracan, the Porsche 911. No, no, I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, Traditional rivals would be front-drive hot hatches like the Hyundai i30N, Volkswagen Golf GTI, Renault Megane RS, this sort of thing. But um, the fact of the matter is the Honda delivers such superior performance to, to, to these traditional rivals. It, uh, I'd be very surprised if it didn't blow them all out of the water. Um, so I don't know. Like who, 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 Who's then the rival? Is it an AMG A45 or an Audi RS3? It's, it's a tricky one. Type R is celebrating, a, I think, a 30-year milestone this year. I mean, it is legendary, as you talked about a moment ago. Does it live up to the whole hype and the, the kind of company mission around 
like racing car speed or performance for unparalleled driving pleasure? Sounds like you feel like it does. Yes, yes. I mean, you, you know, you know how I feel about it. it. It's an incredible car, and yes, it's got that rich history. And look, the latest model is absolutely, without a doubt, the best model yet. No contest. It not only lives up to expectations, it exceeds them. And um, one of the really impressive things about it is it delivers higher performance at the limit, but it's also more livable. Suspension is just. I don't know what they've done with it. It's, you know, the dark arts. I don't know, but it is it is much nicer on rougher roads as well. And I can't sing its praises enough. I really do love this car. We talked about how limited these Type R's are going to be. Has Honda addressed any um, concerns about scalping, you know, scalpers buying them and offloading them for 10 times the price? Yeah, well, this is a huge deal with a lot of um, highly sought-after cars. Um, happened with the Land Cruiser 300 series, and it's probably, you know, it's happened with a lot of cars. It's probably going to happen with this. And no, Honda has not really touched on that issue. I think the only companies that really have said they're going to try and stamp out this sort of... Um, Behaviour or, or practice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, is Toyota. And to be honest, I think even they're struggling with it. It's very difficult to do. Before we let you go, you've covered a few things that you think are hot about this car. What about stuff that is not? I just should add quickly... One of the best things about the car, one of my favourite things is the gear shift. It's sublime. Short throw, snicks in and out of gears. It just, oh, you just, you're in the moment. It's, it's, it's incredible. But, yeah, it's not perfect. Um, it's missing quite a few basic features. Um, there's, like, no 360-degree parking camera. Um, you've got heated seats, but there's no cooled seats. I mean, stuff like the, the i30N gets all of that. But I think a lot of Honda buyers, it's not going to be a deal breaker for them. Uh, and yes, it's expensive. And yes, the wait list is massive. But yeah, all those things clearly are not deterring buyers. And um, and I think for the people that are waiting a while and are spending a lot, they're not going to be disappointed. It's it's as simple as that. It's a, it's a brilliant vehicle. Well done. Fizzy T, thank you for coming back on the pod, mate, to talk about it today. Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Unpopular opinions time on the show. This is a little seg about stuff that kind of winds us up on roads and rules, designs and fines, stupid decisions and dumb bits of driving. Now, you mightn't agree with what we have to say here. That is okay. That is why they are unpopular opinions. Tell us your view. Better yet, share your unpopular opinion. Podcast at carsales.com.au. Righto, Ali, fire up. Your unpopular opinion this month is... The more high-performance EVs I drive, the less I like them. I'll just make a little note here. Do not invite Ali on what's <laughs> under the bonnet. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I didn't think you were going to like this one. You are going to ruffle some feathers with that. I know. I think, I think some people out there will probably agree, at least after they've driven one. Look, they are super fun, these 500-kilowatt all-wheel drive EVs. They are very enjoyable to drive, but only for about five minutes. And then, and that probably comes down to the way you drive them. Sure, if you just cruise around town, that's fine. But I just think the novelty of them kind of wears off after a little while. So kind of ludicrous mode, launch mode, when you get that neck snapping talk, you reckon that's one trick pony stuff and, and it's not an ideal sort of uh, compared to a, a proper track car is what you're saying. Like I, I don't like that we're getting rid of V8s and, and high-powered internal combustion engines, I think. And I know we need to sort of, yeah, we, we need to environmentally go down a different path, but 
I'm just not convinced high-performance EVs are all they're cracked up to be. Like, I like EVs. Don't try and make them something more. So a commuter as opposed to a high-performance machine. Yeah. Okay. I said on, I think on Popular Opinions maybe last month about an old boss who had a proper fun car, if you like, a, like a track day car, but his regular daily was an EV. So I didn't think that it's an issue to have a foot in both camps, that you don't necessarily have to be one or the other. Why do we have to choose sides here? But what you're kind of saying is horses for courses. Well, I, I agree. You can be on both sides for sure. But I think what I'm saying is, and I might eat my words, but high-performance EVs are not that great all the time. Right, well, the switchboard's lit up. Let's go and uh, answer a few calls <laughs> about this. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not surprised. Yeah, I know. Um, as I said, I probably eat my words. They are fun, just not to hoon around in all the time. And it's just like the sound, the synthesised sound, I think, is what gets me the most. It's just like they're, it's not, it doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel like real speed. It feels fake. It feels like you're playing a game. <laughs> Okay, I think I've upset people enough. Rusty, what is your unpopular opinion? Fines for failing to properly secure your pets don't go far enough. Now, the reality is, Ali, as you know better than me, the fines are actually quite big. In some states, it's around five and a half grand. A quick search of the net will tell you that in other states, it's up around 8K. And I think you can even face potential jail time. So, um, it may actually not be a huge deal in places like New Zealand and Northern Territory. That's another um, story. And there is a bit of, within the rules in some places, I think, some leniency around farmers and working dogs um, that I imagine are only operating short distances from the the property that's being grazed or, or worked. So really important that you know the rules that apply to your state. Now, there are different ways to safely Harness. I, I love my doggies. Right, we have a we have a Weimaraner, and we have a a Springer Spaniel Border Collie cross that I I love. Oh, beautiful! You can either safely harness or, or or crate them. You can find stuff online from people like my my colleague and buddy, Dr. Chris Brown, about the the right way to look after them for a trip. And I kind of need to put my hand up here, Ali. If I'm brutally honest with myself, because I live in a semi-rural area, I have been guilty of, you know, kind of just letting them jump in the back seat of the truck for for short for short trips, <gasps> not long ones, but I don't do it anymore. How dare you? Yeah, I know, I know. As I said, I, I love them dearly. We have proper harnesses for them now and I would hate, I would absolutely hate to think that either A, they could be in a position where they distracted me while I was driving or worse, they kind of went flying because they weren't safe like we are each time we drive. We, we jump in, we buckle up. It, it's just, it's second nature, isn't it? Yeah. I was only kidding. I've got a dog myself in too. I have my dog in the passenger seat, the front seat sometimes, and I know you're not supposed to do that. Mm. Um, he is strapped in and he's connected to the seatbelt, but still, if the airbag goes off, he's going to get squished. He's exactly. only a little King Charles Cavalier. Yeah. So he's, yeah, a little runt. But um, yeah, we do need to do a better job. And I see it all the time. I see people driving around with their dogs just standing in the back seat and you can see that they're not secured. They've got their head out the window. Mm. Nothing's holding them in. So yeah, we do we do need to have more um, talk around that issue. Please, folks, this is kind of a, a, an impassioned plea. Just don't chance it, okay? The fines are big. They're big for a reason. They could arguably even tougher to send the right sort of message, um, not just as a deterrent, but as a reminder to look after our four-legged kids in the same way we do our real loved ones.
Our hot topic this month is kind of white hot, fresh off the news desk, just released. We are talking, Ali, about Mazda CX-90. Yeah, Rusty, this is the big new luxury SUV that Mazda is hoping to propel the brand to new heights. Think BMW, Mercedes-Benz, Audi, all of those premium luxury Euro brands. Well, that's the space Mazda wants to play in as well. CX-90, I think, is yet to go on sale in Australia. And in fact, I think won't be in local showrooms until August, but don't take my word for it. Our colleague, Scott Newman, recently had the opportunity to jump aboard a prototype CX-90 shipped over from the US. He got a brief taste of it at the Lang Lang Proving Ground in Victoria, and he is on the line. Scott, welcome back to the showroom. G'day, Rusty. G'day, Ali. Pleasure to be here. Hey, before you launch into this, you are seated appropriately. I know this is an audio medium. You are seated in a car for this chat, but it's not a Mazda. What are you in at the moment? Come, This is probably something more for what's under the bonnet, really, isn't it? It is, it is. But since we're talking uh, premium luxury, I happen to be seated in the back of an i7 at the moment, which is a very a very comfortable way to go podcasting, I must say. <laughs> right. Tell us a bit about this, uh, this CX-90. I think as Ali detailed there, the intent with this which is an interesting place where they've parked it market-wise, is to kind of um, appeal as an alternative to some of the the Euro offerings, isn't it? Yeah, Mazda's been bullish with its push-up market. It's uh, stated publicly publicly for a while now. It wants to maybe get out of that commuter car framework and move into more of a quasi-luxury brand. And the CX-90 is the ultimate expression of that because it's it's their biggest car, it's their flagship, and subsequently, it's going to wear the highest price tag. For instance, the car I drove, which, as you rightly said, was a, a US spec prototype. So on road, that car was about $115,000 when it lands here in August, which gives most people a second take when it comes to a Mazda badge. Yeah, it's sort of the elephant in the room, isn't it, Scotty? So Mazda has sort of always played in the mainstream but more premium side of things. Do you think people are going to pay the price for this car? That's the $115,000 question at the moment, Ali, isn't it? Yeah. So Mazda say that of the orders they're holding for SAX90, the interest they're getting, a lot of it is for the flagship, which is called the Azami. Um, you can have that in petrol or diesel, guys. So it suggests that people are out there shopping in this space. And one thing, interesting thing to note is that they have, whether by coincidence or otherwise, I suspect not by coincidence, They have landed it in its own little segment, really. The Genesis GV80 sits there, but it's priced above your usual contenders like Hyundai Palisade, uh, Nissan Pathfinder, perhaps, uh, that sort of thing. But it's still a good between $20,000 or $40,000 less than the obvious European rivals, so Audi Q7, BMW X7, Mercedes GLS. And that's an important thing to note is that this car is massive. It is not like an X5 competitor or anything like that. It is a proper three-row GLS X7 rival, matches those cars on size. So I think the entry price to an X7, for instance, is like $150,000, $145,000. So Mester has kind of found a little slot to, in the market to put it in. Just how big that market is is the question at the moment. Can you give us an overview for the listeners about the the car? And I think the story that you wrote for the car sales website has been updated a little um, since you first drove it. And, and that now gives a bit of detail around what variants Mazda are going to bring to Australia. Yes. Yeah, so obviously, the you know the, the headline is that 
six-figure price tag. But the range starts at about $75,000 on road and then add about 10 to that for the mid-spec grade and about another 10 for that for the Atsami. So you can get into a CX-90 quite a lot cheaper and it's still got a very comprehensive list of uh, yeah, safety and equipment and obviously the space is the same regardless of which um, variant you buy. All have uh, You can have six or seven seats. Six is only available in the flagship, so seven seats across the range and the third row is very usable. Still get a decent boot, so it puts that size to good use. But uh, it's important to note, Rusty, because it's a very different car. It's on an all-new platform. It's got all-new engines, which is pretty crazy in this day of age of everyone going EV. It's got straight six engines, uh, 3.3-litre turbocharged diesel or petrol. Um, it's got a rear-biased all-wheel drive system now, Mazda's own eight-speed gearbox. So they've really thrown the kitchen sink at this thing. Don't think it's just a, you know, an updated CX-9 or anything like that. It's a whole different platform, whole different kettle of fish. So they're certainly not doing it by halves. Scotty, you say it's no new CX-9, and we know that's a big car in Australia. What is the future of the CX-9? Is is that going to sell alongside the CX-90? How are they going to How are they going to manage that? Funny you should mention that, Ali. So I did the reveal of the CX-90 earlier this year and uh, Mazda's managing director said, we have no intention of getting rid of CX-9. The two will live side by side, but did state that the decision would be made for them if Japan decided to stop making it. And given that they've now subsequently said that the CX-9 will be discontinued in Australia in the near future, I suspect that's the case. I suspect Mazda uh, Japan, Mazda Global, has decided to stop making the CX-9 which means its future is very limited. However, Mazda say that that lower end of the seven-seat market, so say your 50 grand upwards, will be catered for by the CX-8, which will live on. And it's also confirmed that it's going to bring the CX-80 in. So as the name suggests, CX-80 is slightly smaller than CX-90. So I think that Mazda is still confident that the big-selling CX-9 will be replaced by a number of different cars. Some will go into CX-8, some will go into CX-80, but then the CX-90 very much isn't a volume player. It's going to push the brand up market, they hope anyway, and capture those buyers that uh, want something a bit a bit more. So what's it like to drive? Because, uh, I mean, you've talked about it being, I think, this is the most powerful Mazda production vehicle to date, and they have reworked uh, what they call internally their KPC. It might be worth just explaining uh, what that is and how it helps handling. So KPC stands for Kinematic Posture Control. It first arrived on the MX-5 at its facelift last year, and essentially it's a fancy name for just breaking the inside rear wheel during cornering just to keep that body a little bit more flat, a little bit more stable, and improve the handling. Look, it's clearly a very big car from behind the wheel, but... It draws, does drive quite impressively well. It's um, you know it's stable, it's composed, the steering's quite quick in it. Mazda do like to push for a sportier feel. And again, our time, my time in the car was quite limited. It was just Lang Lang's proving ground, but it handles pretty well for a big car. And the new engine feels strong. It's it's pushing a lot of car. The thing's over two point two tons, but you know it sounds good. It does feel like a Mazda probably won't like me putting it like this, but it does feel like a wannabe BMW, a facsimile of a BMW. Now, I'm not going to say it's as strong or maybe as potent as those as that BMW straight six engine, but, you know, it makes a good noise. It still has pretty good performance. Um, the gearbox is excellent. Mazda's done a great job on their, no- on their new gearbox. So there's plenty to like, but until we get it, you know, 
bouncing over speed humps, um, fighting with traffic on the freeway. We won't know fully how well it works day to day, but certainly the promising signs are there. We need to get you to explain to the cool kids what a facsimile is next time. Great to get you on mate, the, uh, the, uh, the, the podcast once again. Thank you for sharing that with us. And people can, of course, read all about the CX-90 online on the Car Sales website. News time on this edition of the showroom. Can we start with a revival for Lancia? The inspiration drawn from the legendary Stratos. This thing looks awesome, doesn't it? It does. Little EV concept. Look at the back end of it. If you um, you'll have to jump on the website to have a look at the pics, but the back end looks like this little bug. It almost looks like the back is the front. That could be the the eyes of it. The circular tail lights are a tip of the hat to the old Stratos. So people that that love that heritage will. Um, I think, be drawn to that. Yeah, and um, the interior is made of um, almost like it's supposed to be a lounge seat. So, yeah, they've had Italian furniture makers come in and and design a bit of the interior, so that's pretty clever. So a little round table in there as well. I think 70% of the materials in the cabin are actually recycled. Now, they reckon this thing's got a decent range. I know it's only a concept car, but they reckon it's got a decent range, don't they? Yeah, 700 kilometres. Like, that's insane. I don't, yeah... I don't know if they're going to actually achieve that. And keep in mind, this is a concept. So yes. whether that actually makes it to the real world, we'll see. Mm. We also have some spy picks and we love spy picks, Rusty. We do. You know what? These aren't very good ones because they've only put a tiny bit of camouflage. <laughs> and you know what? I reckon they probably called the photographers and said, hey, mate, we're bringing the new GLC 63 down. Uh, Get your camera out. Well, it's at the Nürburgring too. So, I mean, there'd be snappers there quite regularly. So it's not like... That's true. Yeah. But anyway, so we're talking Mercedes AMG GLC 63. No mistaking it from the pictures, as you'll see when you go to the website. What are we talking here? I think 500 kilowatt, 1,020. Newton metres, effectively, right now, the world's quickest medium SUV. Yeah, like the C63 sedan uh, just lost its V8 as well. This one has gone to the same two-litre four-cylinder plug-in hybrid. So, yeah, no more V8 sound. Reportedly very quick around the 21K legendary green hill, as they call it. Can we switch to Aston Martin now? DBS 770 Ultimate Valance has broken cover. I think Johnny Mahoney has done the story on this. This is the swan song for Aston's V12 drop top. Yeah, doesn't it look great? And a V12, how good. This thing's going to be bloody quick as well. Epic power, um, pretty aggressive styling. What is it? Twin turbo, 5.2 litre engine. And I think the power output has increased between um, sort of models as well. It's gone from 533 kilowatt to 566. And that should improve a few other stats in relation to top speed and 0 to 100, shouldn't it? Yeah, so it's going to be about 3.4 seconds. So, again, super quick. Yeah, really beautiful thing. Can we finish this with a little something that Ford has done that I reckon enthusiasts and fans listening will enjoy if they're not already onto it? So it is the now publicly available Ford Heritage Vault, and you can find that online and alley. Aussie favourites are now in there. Yeah, so you can now look at brochures and photos of cars produced between, well, Ford cars produced between 1960 and 2002, which will cover my AU Falcon. Exactly. Stuff from down under that we're very proud of, obviously, and so are those fans of the Blue Oval. I think there's something like 180 items in there that you can have a look at. They actually launched this database, really cool thing, um, back in 2022 with 5,000 freely available images for, you know, kind of fans and even to help journalists and so on. This is a really great 
um, resource. And how's this for stats? They're getting around 5,000 downloads a day from all over the world. Yeah, who would have thought people would be that interested in old Fords? And Aussie search volumes, while we're on that, are actually um, puts us effectively in the top five of the 170 countries um, whose visitors have searched the vaults. A really cool thing. Go and check that out once you've finished listening to this episode. If you need another news fix between eps of the showroom, there is only one place to go, and that's our site, carsales.com.au. There are car comparos, news, views, videos, podcasts, of course. You can get access to vehicle history and more to help you buy smarter. And check out Carpool as well for hacks, celebrity drives and lots of fun. It's all there on the website. New or used, you can of course find your next car through car sales and the entry for our classified segment this month needs a little bit of fanfare in the intro. Who remembers this ad? Problem with my Gogomobile. Gogomobile. G-O. G-G-O with my Well, the vehicle up for sale is the Dart, in fact, and Paul Faulkner from Aviation Component Services has kindly jumped on to tell us a bit about it. G'day, Paul. Hey, Greg. How are you going? This car actually has quite a story. I, I think it's even featured in a documentary, hasn't it? So share a bit of that yarn with us. It is, certainly. Yes, um, my involvement with the car started about six or seven years ago. Uh, A friend of mine in the classic car racing world, Jeff Brown, who's also a a noted art collector, he got together over a glass or two of red wine and they hatched this plan where Robert Clinch, the local artist, who's known for paper darts in his artwork, they're a recurring theme. Jeff would buy a Gogomobile dart and Robert would paint darts on the car. And they would call it dart cars in D apostrophe A-R-T. And uh, my involvement was I had some spare space at a workshop and I said, yeah, sure, come on down and use the studio. We hosted the car there and, as you said, there's a, there was a documentary made by Carl Von Moller, a local documentary and commercial maker in Melbourne, and... Part of the documentary, they brought in Tommy and Joan from the Gogamoville ad, as well as Bill Buckle, the creator of the car, and also the car that I have. Uh, that was used in some some scenes, some driving scenes, because the art car was uh, not to be driven anymore. And uh, so, yeah, I got to see the car then, and uh, it was at my place for a bit and got to know the owner and uh, got to know Tommy and Joan too. Turned out they lived around the corner from us. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we got to know them and... Uh, yeah, it became sort of a, a special thing. And then, unfortunately, the owner of, of, of my car, the blue car, he died shortly after that. He was getting on and uh, the family were looking for someone to take it on. And I went, oh, I suppose I should. It, uh, it, it was that sentimental value. So, so do you have a, a passion for the car or is it more about this connection that has brought you to it? Yeah, the, the personal connection, that, that made me want to have a car and then having the one that you know had been in the movie was, was important. But... I do love the story of the dart, the the, the little Aussie battler, um, Bill Buckle, who took this German chassis and then made a, a beautiful little sports car out of it. You know, it's 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 part of Australia's, I guess, um, very innovative motoring history long, long ago. So 
it, yeah, it, it's the, the history of the cars is important to me too, um, not just this this attachment. I mean, Australia's had such a great history of innovation over the years. Lot of small manufacturers doing very clever things, and, uh, and and the Dart is one of them for sure. And it's quite an iconic car, of course. So, Paul, you could say this car is a bit of a star, and you've said that it had a pretty extensive restoration back in 2018. Can you tell us a bit more about that? What went into it? Well, I, I only got to see the the end result. I, I didn't actually see the car uh, prior to it, but yeah, it had um, it had the engine, gearbox overhauled, new paint, new trim, everything. So for me, it was pretty easy just to hop in and hop in and drive. I can't claim any any credit to it, but yeah, it's been quite nicely done. Now you got Ali's and my attention when we saw big block 400cc engine. <laughs> For people that don't know, um, tell us a bit more about some of the specs and so on. Yeah, well, the the, the, the more mundane darts or, or Goggenmobiles ran a 300cc uh, air-cooled uh, twin-cylinder motor, uh, two-stroke, of course. Um, but some of the more deluxe models had the uh, 400cc big block. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know the horsepower, quite honestly, but it, it must be getting into double digits, I'm sure. It, uh, yeah, it, it gets along okay. Two full-size people um, can motor along. I think I've seen 50 mile an hour in it. Uh, after that, I don't know what happens. I'm actually sitting above the windscreen, so it, it's certainly a, a breezy experience. Yeah, it, it's fast enough, you'd say, to get around in modern traffic, but uh, a little daunting when you're that low to the ground. I'm just looking at the pictures now, and you guys will have to jump on the site to have a look at this thing because it's it's really cool. What is in the boot? Is that like a separate fuel tank, or is that is that stock? Is it supposed to be there? That's what you can see is the uh, the ducting for the air cooling for the for the motor. So the the motor's tucked away underneath that that cowling. It's, it's quite a small motor. The fuel tank sits above that, yes. Oh, wow. And there's no doors, no bonnet. Uh, it's just that boot lid to give you access to the, uh, to the engine. And, Paul, you're asking $45,000 for the Gogo Mobile. Are you prepared to knock off a few thousand for the buyer with the best Tommy Dysart impersonation? <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, can, can you yes. give us yours? Oh, G O G G O. Thank you. You need to drink a lot of whiskey to get that proper Tommy Dysart voice. Ah. Legend. And the fact that you got to meet him is even better. Hey, um, something really cool, really unique. We hope we've generated a little bit of noise about this car for you, Paul, so that it uh, that it helps the sale. Thank you very much for for coming on and telling us a bit more about it today. You're welcome. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Paul. There he is. And you can check it out on the car sales website. Good luck to Paul uh, with the sale of it. And thank you very much for coming on the showroom. Clock's going to beat us here. We're almost out of time for this episode. Before we go, let's tackle a quick bit of mail. Thanks to all of you for sending them through. Here's one from Phil Lindley. I have a two-litre-powered car, he says. Wondering if I downsize to a smaller one-to-one-and-a-half-litre turbo, would that be as good for power and longevity of the vehicle? And interestingly here, <laughs> Ali and I were going to be super diligent and reply, but Mike Sinclair, the boss, has beat us to it. Sinkers. Yeah, Sinkers is always up late at night on the email, so he has beaten us to it. But, yeah, Phil, in short, this has been a strong trend in automotive for the last decade or so. I've driven plenty of new smaller-engined turbocharged cars and yet there's plenty of power more so talk we should say so there's a lot of talk with um smaller engined turbo cars so no problem with them um you'll get really good overall performance um and economy being a smaller engine um over a naturally aspirated two liter so 
yeah, we don't see any issue. You'll definitely feel a bit more torque from that turbo and reliability-wise, no real issues there. So, yeah, I hope that helps. Well done. I think Sinkers was talking about don't expect a huge amount from the very small turbos like the 1 and 1.2 litres, but a 1.4 to 1.5 should easily provide a better, all, a better overall performance and economy than a naturally aspirated 2 litre. So there you go. That is it for this episode. We would love you to rate and review the podcast. Tell your mates about it. And if you've got a question like Phil there, maybe there's a new model coming that you'd like to know more about, send us an email or even a little voice memo. We'd love to tackle it for you. Podcast at carsales.com.au. We'll catch you next time, everybody. Bye for now. Listener.